Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Welcome to The Rest is History, which comes not inappropriately from Greece, or at least partly from Greece. The historian Herodotus tells the story of the Battle of Thermopylae, when the Spartans made their heroic stand against the Persian king Xerxes. And afterwards, when the Persians had wiped the floor with the Spartans, they asked a group of Greek deserters why there were so few Greeks at the battlefield. And the deserters supposedly replied that the rest of the Greeks were off at the Olympic Games watching the horse racing. The Persians asked what was the prize? What was the point? And the Greeks said the prize was a crown of olive leaves. And at that, the Persians supposedly cried out and gnashed their teeth and rent their garments and said, what kind of men are these that we're fighting against? They fight not for riches, but for glory. Now, another person who fights only for glory is my collaborator, Tom Holland, the translator of Herodotus's histories, uh, no less. Tom, you're very keen on the Olympics, aren't you? I imagine you're dying to see the kickoff in Tokyo. You can't wait. Well, I'm very keen on the ancient Olympics. I, I actually find the modern ones a They're rubbish, boring, they? to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they are. You, the the synchronised swimming doesn't do it for you or the uh, no, powerlifting really. or whatever it not is. Not really. But the ancient ones are, are fantastic. And I'm incredibly jealous of you being in Greece right now as we record yes. this. Uh, and very grateful that you have uh, broken <laughs> off from... Downing Retsina in the exactly the shade of Mycenae, <laughs> flesh pots of Napoleon. In the in the flesh pots of the Peloponnese. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So what so I've you, actually done exactly, I've broken off my holiday to be lectured by you about ancient religion. <laughs> and I said to my wife as she went off taking my son for an ice cream, I said basically for the next hour, Tom Holland will be just using the word sacral again and again and again. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I don't know exactly what's coming. You know me. You know me. You know me too well. Have you? Before we get on to the sacral quality of the ancient Olympic Games, am I? Wow, am I going to major on that? Um, <laughs> Have you, you? You haven't actually been to Olympia, though. This summer. no, although, although I've never been. Although yesterday we went to Nemea, um, oh, yes. which is another games location, and so there's a brilliant tunnel. They've, they've sort of reconstructed, I think, the tunnel that the athletes. It's very like you know, stepping onto the the, the field for the World Cup final or something. You go through the tunnel and you emerge into the stadium, and um, and yeah, you get it. You get a fantastic sense of of what it was like. I mean. In this sort, of, I know that's a silly thing to say because you don't really know what it was like, but you can sort of pretend anyway. Um, we played; I played the final countdown on my phone, so <laughs> and got and got my son to run through the tunnel. <laughs> of course, there's nobody else here because of COVID, so it's brilliant. You get it all to yourself, and you win the you win the crown. Exactly the the laurel the, the olive the olive wreath. So you mentioned the Nemean Games. Yeah, so, there were four, weren't so, there? So, well, yeah, well, there are lots of games, but there are four games where basically, uh, as in the story that you you read from Herodotus, you get a crown. So they're called the, the Stephanic Games, Stephanos right. being Greek for a crown. So uh, the Nemean Games was uh, basically ranked fourth. Um, oh, Istanian... you're telling me I've been to the, I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even get on the podium. <laughs> I, I'm a, yeah, you didn't even podium. Um, <laughs> the the Nemean <laughs> Games and not even the bronze medal of games. That's so disappointing. Oh my God. The Isthmian, the Isthmian yeah. is the bronze one. So that's a Corinth. The Isthmian okay. is joining the Peloponnese, the southern kind of fork of Greece to the mainland. Uh, then the Pythian, which is at Delphi, and then the Olympian. And um, Pausanias, who is uh, second century AD, basically he kind of writes travel guides. He writes a travel guide to Greece. The rough guide. The rough guide. And, and he says of the Olympic Games, they are the greatest, the greatest of games. And so that's why the modern games are named after them, because they are the pinnacle. What did Pausanias, you're not claiming that he invented the idea that the Olympic Games were the best. I mean, were they genuinely no, the best? And the no, greatest? he said it, that they rank first. They come top. Okay. If, you, if you win at the Olympic Games, then that's absolutely the best. Although the mark of a really elite athlete, and you know how yes. keen I am on, on elite sport, is, is to get the Grand Slam. A bit like kind of tennis now. You know, you get and this is, of course, what, uh, what Nero did, right? Um, well, I'm sure that, we'll that come to exactly, this later yeah, on. That, that is what Nero did. But... And I know how much you've been looking forward to me using the word sacral. Yes, come on. Let's get it over with. Okay, so, so the key, really, the, the fundamental difference between the modern Olympic Games, which, as, as constituted now, is basically about money. 
I mean, the reason yeah. that they're going ahead in a time of COVID, it's not because of the Olympic spirit. It's not because of the, you know, the amity of nations. It's, it's because of TV deals. Yeah, well, we're going to do the modern Olympics, aren't we, in, in another podcast, so we can do all the sleaze and the politics but, of it. But, but the, um, the episode you mentioned with Thermopylae, the Persians are invading Greece. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is a massive crisis. Holding the pass at Thermopylae is the best option the Greeks have to stop the Persian advance. But they don't go because of the games. And that, that's not because they're obsessed by, by sport, sport, although they are. It's because the Olympic Games have this incredible status as something that is holy to the gods. And so right. again, Pausanias, when, he, when he, he, he goes to Olympia and he says about the, the games that there are basically the two holiest events in Greece. One is the mysteries at, at Eleusis, which is uh, just outside Athens, um, where uh, it's, it's involved with the story of Demeter and Persephone and Persephone going into the underworld and then coming back for six months and going back. And it's all basically about life and death. So it's absolutely you know, at the heart of, of, um, of everything that, that a mortal might want to, to learn. But he says that the Olympics, the Olympic Games are, the Festival of the Olympics are on that level. And actually, when I say Olympic Games as a synonym for festival, that's wrong because the games are only a part of, of the broader festival. Let, let's go back to the origins. So when did they – their conventional date is 776, isn't it? And we get that from Aristotle, am I right, that he says it was 776 BC? Um, yes. Well, we, we get it also from um, a guy called Hippias of Elis. And Elis okay. is the, the kind of the town that um, over the course of history comes to kind of monopolize and, and – lay claim to the games and the festival. Um, and essentially, if you win the sprint, which is the first race, and it's won by this butcher, supposedly, called Coroibus, right? then nice. from that point on, your name as the guy who wins the sprint, you, you know, this is how the Greeks date. This is, this is the dating system that they use. So it's yeah. kind of, I mean, how elite is that? You win a sprint and then your name, you know is going to be used forever after by people drawing up histories and well like just that. to just to interject on this we were in sparta the other day in, in this in modern sparta which um is as my son said is not it, it doesn't quite live up to his image of ancient sparta but in the middle of ancient of modern sparta there is a monument an olympic monument and it has the names of every spartan who who won um the olympics going back to you know the 8th century bc or whatever it is and coming right up to um the early 21st century and I thought, I mean, they pre they're basically pretending there's no break. They're pretending that the Olympic Games are the same thing and that Sparta. So <laughs> yes. I, I, I loved that, that there was a sort of, that they're still remembering these guys, you know, 2,500 years ago. And they still got this sort of monument to their, to their Spartan Olympic heroes. So the names do live forevermore. Well, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and so Greek contenders knew that, I mean, the fame that you win is in a sense the kind of the key to it um but uh it won't surprise you to know that there are complications so so one of them is you know is this true uh and actually the kind of the weight of opinion is probably that it, it, it vaguely is what the butcher did win and all that sort of stuff yeah perhaps who knows I mean, we've got no yeah. way really of, of knowing, but it seems it seems feasible. But this this kind of you know we we can recognise that that's a historical account. But the, yeah. for the Greeks, the, the well, I'm afraid I'm going to use the word the sacral quality of the <laughs> Here game. Here we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad is, you did that, Tom. I mean, it would be disappointing if you didn't. <laughs> I know is interwoven <laughs> with myth. Okay. And so you can basically with the Greeks, you can hold you know kind of three or four ideas simultaneously in your head. So you can have this idea that there is a kind of recognisable starting point that you get on the blocks you know, firing gun goes and you're off. The, the games have begun. But at the same time, you also have to kind of enmesh it in your ideas about the stories told of the gods and the heroes. And as is always the way with Greece, there is no definitive account. So it's held at Olympia. Olympia, obviously, there's the resonance with, with Olympus, the home of the gods, where Zeus, the king of the gods, rules. And it's Zeus. Is it named after Olympus, Tom? Is it yeah, named so, after Mount Olympus, the place? Or well, it's it's named after Olympian Zeus. So Zeus okay. presides over the games. And so therefore, one of the stories that's told about the origins of the games, um, and again, going back to Pausanias, who really is a kind of, you know, the, the crucial source for this. He says, some say Zeus wrestled there at Olympia 
with Kronos himself for the throne of heaven. Um, some say he held the games as a celebration of his triumph. Kronos was his Zeus's father, who swallowed. Who you know, there was a prediction that um, he would be toppled by his yes. child, and so he devours his children um, as they're born, and uh, he gets tricked because um, Zeus's mother gives him a stone, gives him um, a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes, and Zeus is then able to to live and comes and and, and defeats him. So that is kind of pinning the origins of the Olympics right to the beginning of the reign of the Olympians, the coming of the Olympians. So that's the kind of measure of its significance. But Tom, I read this story, I read it only today, that uh, Pelops, yes. the son of Tantalus, uh, a man who had survived being eaten by the gods, being served to the gods as food by his own father, which is not a claim many of us can make. <laughs> no. uh, but he had, he, had, he had done this and lived to tell the tale, that he had a chariot race with his prospective father-in-law in which he replaced the linchpins and the wheels of his father-in-law's uh, chariot with wax uh, so that they melted and he died. And he then held funeral games to remember his his sort of father-in-law, which became the Olympics. Is that not the origin of the games? So that's a, that's another story. Yeah, and that's the one that actually kind of, okay. kind of wins. I, you know, I say you can keep all these different ideas in your head. So it matters to, to identify the origins with Zeus. But yes, absolutely. Pelops, who gives his name to the Peloponnese, where you are, are sitting now. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's a link to the Lucian mysteries there as well, because the, the one god who, who eats a bit of Pelops um, is Demeter, because she's in mourning for Persephone, who's just been abducted by, the, by Hades, the king of the underworld. Um, and so from that point on, the, the gods kind of bring him, reconstitute him, bring him back to life. From that point on, he has a, a, an ivory shoulder to replace the bit that Demeter had snagged. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, he, so, he, so he's from Anatolia. He crosses the Aegean. He comes to what will become, come to be called the Peloponnese, the island of Pelops. And um, he goes to a place called Pisa, which isn't the place the where entire. the power in Italy. <laughs> it's about a mile from where the games, the, uh, where, where Olympia will be. And um, absolutely, yes. So there's a guy called Oinomaeus, who's the king there. And he yeah. has a daughter, Hippodamia. And a bit like Kronos having been told that he will be killed by a, a son. Onomaeus has been told that he will be killed by the man who marries his daughter. And so he's not keen on this. And so every suitor, he challenges a suitor to a chariot race with the proviso that if the, the guy who, who wins the chariot race loses, um, he, he could be killed. And so Onomaeus, so Pelops arrives and they're welcoming him to, to Pisa above the palace of his prospective father-in-law, a kind of you know, a rack of skulls of the uh, <laughs> decaying heads, the flesh dripping off. From a lot of us are very suitors. familiar with those kinds of scenes with our own <laughs> yes. fathers-in-law. Yes. So, so he obviously is twitchy, but he's got, he's got yeah. advantages because he's got, he's got winged steeds that are a gift from the gods. So that's a kind okay. of advantage. But he wants to make absolutely sure. And so he bribes um, his father, prospective father-in-law's um, charioteer, a guy called Mytilos, to exactly, as you say, replace the... the, the, the um, the spokes with the uh that what are, what are they the axle yeah thing to keep the wheels in with wax um and so the father dies uh pelops marries uh and is a great hero but he has bribed mitilus he's 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 said you know i'll give you all kinds of goodies and mitilus comes to pelops for his reward and did, did you read what pelops does does he kill him he does he chucks Tom. him over a cliff well, that's harsh, isn't it? That's bad it is form. Harsh. It's very it is bad harsh. form. <laughs> so, so Pelops is—you know—he's not a nice guy. No, um, I'm feeling he, bad about being in the Peloponnese now. Well, no, but so Pelops reigns. So it's all great, but there is a curse that's been put on his family. And I know you just went to uh, to Mycenae, didn't you? Just yes, House right? of Atreus. So, is this Atreus the house is the son of Pelops. So Agamemnon, Clytemnestra, Electra, yeah. all that stuff. All, all that. that stems from this disastrous chariot race well yes not disastrous for pelops but disastrous for his successors exactly yes um and so you you have there the sense that um so in you know we talk in sport we talk about heroes a lot of talk about heroes yeah a hero in greece is something faintly menacing it's it's someone who's kind of has a, a touch of of the divine and the divine is always dangerous so yeah Pelops is not a pleasant guy. I mean, he's a, he's a cheat. Um, he's really not pleasant at all. And yet he has something of the night about him. The strange, something of the strange, something of the kind of demonic in the Greek sense. Um, right. 
And that sense of the strange and the weird hangs over the games that then kind of emerge. So there's a sense of the games being expiating sin, do you think? Is that too strong? I think I think that is too strong. Uh, I think the key is that the Age of Heroes has passed. So it passes with the Trojan War. But you come to Olympia and if you're watching the, the chariot races or the wrestling or whatever, and you see astounding performances, you are as close to the Age of Heroes as you possibly can be in, right. in, in the Age of yeah. Iron that we all live in. And, and that's, that's the fascination of it, that it's kind of opening up a portal to the weird. So you've got, you've got Zeus is one of the founders, Pelops is the other, the third one is Heracles, you know, with his 12 labors. And, and yes. the other story is that um, he comes there after he's finished his labors and he institutes the games and he sacrifices a black ram before the tomb of Pelops. And this is something that they do every four years at the games. They sacrifice a ram to Pelops. And, you know, you are kind of taking part in these incredibly vivid stories. They are alive and, and a part of what you were doing. And that is absolutely fundamental to everything that the Olympics in, in antiquity are about. So just to get away from the myth for a second, where did the idea of games come from? Is it something the Greeks have got from, where have they got it from? The Crete, from Crete, from Egypt, from, from Anatolia, or do they invent it? Are there games in other places? I, th I think it's an expression of um, a, a kind of obsession with being best. So the Greeks can make a contest out of anything. You know, they can make yeah. a contest out of, well, you know, famously plays, so tragedian, comedies, poetry, but it's kind of beauty contests, um, weaving. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that the Greeks can't make into a contest. And I wouldn't pay to see the weaving contest. <laughs> but if you're a Greek, you might. And particularly, <laughs> you know, if, if it's kind of a, a Athena against Arachne, and you know that the loser is going to be turned into a spider. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. Well, I, I would pay to, I'd definitely pay to see that. Yeah. So that, that's the measure. There's jeopardy in everything. And it kind of <laughs> reflects the way in which... Um, you know, the, the Greeks, you know, they don't have, uh, they have no concept of sport for sport's sake. So we were talking yeah. about podiuming, the idea of, of um, gold, sil silver and bronze. But basically, th there is no bronze or silver. You win or you lose. Um, and, and when you win, you, one of the perks you get is you get to commission a, a kind of victory hymn. So it's right. kind of like, you know, it's like, I don't know, getting Beyonce or somebody to celebrate your victory in the 100 metres, something like that, Rihanna. Um, and the, the, the famous guy who does this uh, in, in ancient Greece is a guy called Pindar from Thebes. The play, he's a play, is he a playwright, Pindar? No, he's, he's, he, he, he writes these odes, these kind of victories. Oh, okay. That's what he's chiefly known for. And uh, <laughs> he, he has this. So uh, it, as much as he's writing in praise of the winner, He's also writing about the losers. Um, and uh, while you were sunning yourself in, in, um, in Greece, yesterday I, I had this disastrous game of cricket where I got out for naught. Um, I, I that always happens to you, Tom, doesn't it? Then you always no, go not out for always, naught. Not always. I bowled the over that lost us the game. It was an absolute disaster. Um, and I came back and was reading some Pinder in preparation for this episode. And I came, I came across this about the losers, where Pinder writes, no joyous homecoming for them on their return to their mothers. No sweet laughter, no surge of joy. Down dark alleyways they slink, avoiding their enemies, gnawed at by the consciousness of their defeat. Oh, and Tom, I, my heart bleeds very, for you. Very, I, I, I know. <laughs> you've you've I know. clearly been through a dark night of the soul after this cricket I match. I have, I have. But so that there's none of this, you know, plucky British contender coming in eight kind of thing. So, right, <laughs> yeah. Anyone who comes in eight, anyone who comes in second is a loser. And so you some, slink back in Exactly. Race. Some some gallant Scottish long distance runner trailing in in fifth. No good. Absolutely, absolutely no good at all. Absolutely no good. Um, so I think I think that it's it's that kind of ambition to be the best. So there's no Corinthian spirit. The Corinthian spirit. It's a, it's a total British invention. There was no such thing as the Corinthian spirit in ancient Greece. No, it's, it's, uh, that, that's a kind of, so that, that amateur spirit, the Greeks have no word for amateur either. Um, 
that kind of that strain within the modern Olympics is well, it come, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get onto our program about the the modern Olympics. Yeah. But it comes from Shropshire, doesn't it? It's a, a uh, British it invention. Uh, Shropshire and the Cotswolds, two places I know very well, are basically the cradles of yeah. the modern Olympics. But we will come onto that later on, Tom. Um, but the, the athletes who are, they have no word for amateur, but the athletes that are participating are amateurs, aren't they? They're, they, they're not professionals, surely. Well, uh, you, you have to train for, for 10 months. And you have okay. to, for one of those months, you have to, you have to do it at Ellis. Um, and it's true, you don't get paid for your victory. But when you go back, uh, you know, you, you're, you're guaranteed all kinds of perks and goodies and sponsorship deals and things like that. Yeah. Yes, tea companies will will queue up to uh, to, to to employ you as an influencer, as so, is the case with podcast presenters. <laughs> exactly, um, it it you know it requires time and money to do that. Yeah. So Karoybos, for instance, who, you know the butcher, he's unusual because generally butchers don't have time to have ten months to to train for a sprint. So by and large, are the contestants quite? Are they rich? They tend to be very rich. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bit like today, isn't it? Because all it, it tends to be wealthy countries that that win the most medals. Of course, and and, and, and people it. people often say too many public school boys and all this kind of thing. Yes, exactly. So it's exactly the same. Uh, and then, of course, there's the further dimension, which is that um, in the uh, the hippodrome, so the chariot racing and the um, the riding on, on horseback, um, the person who gets the medal isn't the person who's driving the chariot or the person who's riding the horse. It's the person who owns the horses. So horses are much more valuable. This is something I really wanted to ask you about, because I was looking at the list of famous winners, and I saw that, for example, Arsinoe II, Queen of Ptolemaic Egypt, had won the chariot race. And I thought, yes. really? I thought women weren't allowed to participate in the Olympics, but clearly she had sponsored or whatever, some other chariot racer. And, of course, Philip of Macedon, he, he, his horse won on the day, supposedly, when Alexander the Great was born, but he wasn't racing it himself. So it's rather like the Queen's horse winning, you know, the Derby or whatever. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, we should go to a break, but just qu quickly on the issue of women. So, the, so women, women are not allowed to compete uh, and they're not even allowed to go into the sanctuary. Um, and married women are not allowed to go to the festival full stop. So it's 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 very sexist. Hold on, married women aren't, but single women are. Uh, well, kind of yes. So um, prostitutes are allowed to go, uh, high okay. class courtesans, um, unmarried virgins. Although since it's a massive kind of whore fest, by and large, <laughs> unmarried virgins <laughs> tend not to go there. Right. Um, but definitely, you know, as a woman, you're not allowed to compete. But the one way that you can compete is to enter chariots. Uh, and so the very first woman to win in the Olympic Games is uh, a Spartan, and I'm sure her name would have been on that list of, of Spartan victors, um, called Kyniska, who uh, enters the chariot in 396, uh, wins again um, four years later in the, the next bout of the Games. Uh, and she has this kind of wonderful um, uh, inscription, which survived, which says, my father and brothers were kings of Sparta. I proclaim myself the only woman in all of Greece to have won the crown. So... Uh, she's commemorated as a kind of great hero of, of the Olympics. Um, but there's one other um, woman who plays a, a key role, um, which is a woman called Ferenike, who has a, who, she, she's kind of part of this great um, uh, uh, boxing um, tradition. Is she a boxer? No, she's not. Um, but she belongs to this. Um, she's kind of married to one who's an Olympic champion. His grandfather, his father was, uh, his brothers were, and his son is training to become one as well. And um, the son's father. So the, the, this this son is he's called Pisodorus. He's from Rhodes. He's in busy training for the for the games, and his father dies, and his father's been training him. So he's stuck. You know, who's he going to have to train him? And then this mysterious figure appears, cloaked in a white cloak. Oh. Um, and he assumes that it's a god who's or a hero who's come to uh, to, to coach him. Um, coaching goes through. You know, they do their nine months training in Rhodes. They go to Olympia. They do their months training in uh, in Ellis, uh, and then the procession to uh, to Olympia. They settle down in the village. Um, the time comes for the uh, for the game. Uh, Pisodorus uh, is 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 he wins. He wins the final bout. Uh, and the trainer, who's kind of cloaked and hooded, is so excited that he leaps over the fence. Uh, and of course, they, you know, they, like Scotsmen, they don't, they don't wear pants. They don't wear uh, underwear. And 
everyone is able to see that this mysterious figure is in fact a woman. And it turns out to be Ferenike, whose name aptly enough means bringer of victory. And this is a capital offense. If you are a woman and you're found at the games, you get chucked off a mountaintop. Oh, yeah. That's so, harsh. So, yeah. So, so they're brought before the Olympic judges. And um, you know, they're deciding, well, what, what are we going to do? And they decide that because she is from this great dynasty, this great sporting dynasty, they can't possibly chuck her off a cliff. And so they say, okay, we'll let you off. You, you, you will be the one woman who has trained an Olympic champion. The exception that proves but, the rule. But they institute a new rule, which is that from this point on, not only the athletes, but also the trainers have to perform in the nude. <laughs> oh, my word. That which, is hilarious. And I, you know, I mean, who wouldn't like to see that? I think uh, Tokyo, <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, be, yeah. be great fun. The trainers and the athletes in the nude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine I the sunburn. Wouldn't. Imagine the I, sunburn. That's true, but I probably wouldn't pay to see some of those kind of, I don't know, Eastern European <laughs> yes. heavyweights. Hair um, sprouting in all kinds of <laughs> peculiar places. <laughs> yes. Well, I think um, I think on that shocking note, yeah, um, no stereotype goes un, goes un, <laughs> un, um, unused on this podcast, right? We should take a break, shouldn't we? On we should leave you with that image. We should take a break, and we'll return. I think we should talk about the politics. I think we should talk about the Olympic truce. I think we should talk about famous Olympians. We've got tons to discuss. See yeah. you in a minute. Okay. Welcome back to The Rest is History. We are talking about the ancient Olympics to coincide with um, the Tokyo Olympics. Um, so, Tom, something that absolutely fascinates me and I think has fascinated lots of people about the ancient Olympics is this sort of political dimension and particularly the idea of the Olympic truce, that it marks a kind of, um, whether it marks a cessation of hostilities between the city-states or whether you just can't take weapons into the Olympics or, or what. So explain exactly what's going on. It's, it's more like an armistice. So war carries on um the so, you know that's why the olympics uh, you know they play them in 480 when the persians are invading and they they play them throughout yeah. the peloponnesian war and, and so on but essentially it means that um you know if you're an athenian or you're a spartan you can go to the olympics and you will meet and you will compete and everyone will accept your right to be there um and, and that's the kind of ideal it's it's so it's kind of pan-hellenic that's and that's the great ideal um and I, th I think, you know, in the context of the Greek world where they are endlessly fighting each other, it is the one chance for enemies to meet up and to kind of, to that extent, feel a certain degree of kind of kinship. Um, that, that question of kinship is really interesting. So is the mark of being a Greek whether or not you can go to the Olympics? So do the Greek colonies in Asia Minor and Sicily and Italy and so on, do they absolutely. send people to the Olympics? Yeah, they do. Abso absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you have to be freeborn. Freeborn Greek, basically. Um, and, and how so do you prove your? Do you have to speak Greek? Do you have to prove you have your to, Greek? Absolutely, you have to speak Greek. Yes, and the judges decide whether you can compete or not. Um, so that you know, you'll know that there's kind of disagreement about whether the Macedonians say are Greek. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but by and large, yes, it's 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 for freeborn Greeks. Um, so Greek speakers, uh, yes, and absolutely. I mean, some of the greatest champions come from um, from Sicily, say, and so they all meet up. Um, they, uh, that, you know, the, the, the trainers and the athletes will have been at Ellis for, for a month practicing there. Um, and then I think it's, it's the kind of the first or second full moon after the summer solstice. And when that comes, you, uh, you set off from Ellis. It's a kind of about 35 miles to Olympia, um, takes you two days. Um, you, uh, you know, the, the route is marked by various rituals. So there's an awful lot of, of sacrificing of pigs at the olympics right. so, so it's bad news for pigs it's terrible olympics. news for pigs and it's also terrible news for oxen which will come to you in, in due course you know but you kind of you go past a sacred spring you kill a pig you you come to a, a place where some hero did something you kill a pig and you, you all arrive at the olympic village and and so olympia is is not you know it's not a city so it's, it's a bit it's it's kind of like glastonbury it's a great festival. It's a great feel. They stay but, in tents, don't they? they do they all yes. sleep in tents? They all sleep in tents or, or not at all. You, know, you, you, you sleep out in the open. It's incredibly hot. It's incredibly dusty. There are no toilet facilities. So it's even nice. worse than Glastonbury. But here's a question about the heat. So I'm in Greece right now. It's incredibly hot, mid to late 30s. They are competing in the heat of summer. Is that why they're naked? 
Or is the nakedness to do with the worship of the human body kind of thing? Well, the story is, is that there's, there's a contender and his, his loincloth slips off while he's running. Uh, and it kind of improves his performance. And so everyone goes for it. I mean, that's the story that gets told. Pausanias is rather cynical about it. It says that, that he, you know, this contender says that it slipped off, but actually he'd realised and thrown it aside to, to get this competitive advantage. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very homoerotic. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of, of kind of ogling and eyeing people up. And one of the things that the Olympic Games offer is, um, you know, that, that we have male and female con different c contenders. Um, they divide it up between men and boys. Um, so the first round of games is actually the boys. Um, the first day, they, uh, they, these they are people, run, they what, wrestle, they say, box. When, when you say boys, what, teenagers? Kind of up to the age of 20. But it's, it, okay. the, you know, there are no birth certificates, so it's up to the judges. So there's always the risk if you're a boy and you've entered the boxing. And the judge says, actually, you're a man <laughs> and you're up against right. some terrifying man mountain. I mean, you know, <laughs> run away. So it's always, yeah. it's always a kind of risk. So that's, that, that's what happens on the first day. Uh, and also the, 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 the boys compete. And also you swear an oath. You swear an oath before Zeus. Um, and uh, you swear it over a dismembered pig. Pigs again. Uh, yeah. What have the Greeks got, in, got against pigs? And the, if you cheat... So this doesn't happen very often, but it happens occasionally. You will be fined and the fines will go to, to um, make a bronze of you. And your shame will then, you know, it'll be put up publicly uh, and it'll be there forevermore. So what's his name? Is it Ben Johnson? Ben, ben Johnson. Johnson isn't, so there'd yeah. be a statue of Ben Johnson put up wherever it was. And uh, you know, his, That's quite his, a deterrent, actually, isn't it? It is that's quite a, good, isn't it? It's, it's a good, good, very think, good deterrent. I, think, I mean, I think they should introduce that to all tournaments. You get <laughs> yeah, red carded. Yeah. Um, but here's a question about people who – so isn't there some suspicion that people change teams? So I was reading about a man called – where I've got my piece of paper – Sotardis at the 99th Olympics. So first he competed for Crete and then he competed for Ephesus the next time. The Ephesians paid him to represent them because he was a, he was a star. He was an elite athlete. Um, and then the Cretans banished him forevermore because they were so cross with him. Yeah, and there's a further risk that that um, you know you might be banned um, because your city has committed some offence. So this happened to Sparta uh, in the last years of the Peloponnesian War. Sparta is the most powerful city in Greece, but the the Elians ba banished them, um, so that they can't take part. And so various Spartan athletes kind of smuggle themselves in as pretend to be Thebans and so on. So it's a bit um, like South African af athletes yes. in the 1980s, like Zola Bud or yes, something. Exactly. So so there's absolute, so politics is all part of this this kind of great snarl. Um, so um, so. Yeah, so in a way, the most famous example of that, again, in, in the, the backdrop to the Peloponnesian War, this great war between Athens and Sparta, is Alcibiades, who is um, the kind of the golden boy of Athens, who plays a key role. He actually switches from Athens to Sparta at one, one point, then switches back to Athens. But at his kind of peak, as he's preparing the, um, the Athenian invasion of Sicily, um, to kind of signal the power of Athens, he goes to um, he goes to Olympia and he enters. Uh, I think it's nine chariots in the chariot race, and he takes That's the cheating. Top, surely, That's he, surely he takes cheating. the top three spots. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it, it kind of is cheating, but you know, and and there are lots of people who do think this is too much, but equally, there are lots of people who who are wowed by it, and it's remembered, and it's something that uh, kind of you know lives on. So. Um, the the chariot the chariot race is the first kind of adult race, uh, and, right? And it, oh, that's obviously because that's going back to the the, the race that Pelops has has done. So it's kind of and that's a big highlight, back. isn't it? The chariot absolutely race. massive highlight. And then you have the horse race, um, yeah. And again, Pelops has these horses. Uh, and if you go to if you go to Olympia, you go to the museum. They the the horses of Pelops are kind of I mean some of the most beautiful, terrifying sculptures you could ever see. They're breathtakingly and they kind of evoke the the power and the strangeness and the glamour and the terror of the games i think better than almost anything else that that i can think of that survived from antiquity they're incredibly That's powerful yeah. um you know and and i think the greeks felt that as well so there was particularly with the chariots they were so dangerous there was there was the, you know when you turn the, the risk is always that you're going to kind of your chariot's going to splinter and then you're going to die and it's said that there was a ghost that haunted that turning point um, and nobody was quite sure who it was, but maybe it was Oinomaeus or Myrtilos or, you know, one of these guys in the myth. But but this idea that there is a kind of curse, a ghost haunting it, I mean, it kind of adds yeah. jeopardy to it again. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so you have the equestrian events in the morning of the of, of day two. Then you have the pentathlon, um, which again, it's kind of it's absolutely the kind of the Greek ideal, really, that you're you're, you're proficient at, at all these kind of various skills. Because obviously, if you're a runner, you want to be kind of slim. If you're um, taking part in the kind of the brawnier feats, then you want to be bulky. But the pentathlete is kind of you know the the, the, the midpoint, the ideal of yeah, of physicality. The Daily Thompson. The yes, absolutely. Um, and then you finish, and and then day two comes to an end, and you have a massive piss up, and that's where. So Alcibiades has brought all the kind of the gold um, fittings from Athens, and he passes it off as his own. Um, and vegetarians are catered for. So uh, yeah, so Empedocles, who's who's a vegetarian, he goes to the Olympics, and he he um, uh, he provides this kind of massive ox that's been uh, baked in an oven, uh, made of dough, uh, and garnished with herbs and spices and things. Um, so, that's very impressive. Yeah, so that's that's nice to know, isn't it? And then, yeah. and then, obviously, everyone is absolutely slaughtered. So they wake up; it's boiling hot. You can't possibly compete. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, in the te- they're sleeping in the tents with these colossal hangovers, the sun pounding down. In so, do you know what summer. you do need to see if you got if you wake up? It's incredibly hot, and uh, you've got a pounding hangover. I'd go swimming personally. What do they do? They slaughter a hundred oxen in honor of Zeus. Oh. I'm a bit of a lightweight by comparison, clearly. Hecatomb. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of dis- – well, we know it's disgusting because – Just think of the flies and the stench right. of blood okay. and all that. Okay, so, so you make sacrifice to Zeus Apomweos, which means Zeus who keeps flies away. Oh, right. So yeah. the fact okay. that you, you – I don't believe that. The fact I'm, you've got, I'm, you've got I'm a, skeptical about whether that would work. <laughs> Apparently it did. So around the altar, <laughs> apparently there were no flies. You may well express scepticism. Um, but yeah. the altar, the altar, do you know what the altar was made of? Uh, dead pigs. <laughs> God, that it's, is... it's, it's made of the ashes of the slaughtered oxen mixed oh, with water God. into a paste. So it's a great lump of... This, this, sounds the most, <laughs> this just sounds the most terrible occasion imaginable. <laughs> Well, everyone, everyone says it's a terrible occasion. Too many crowds, too many flies. It's too hot. It's too disgusting. But everyone says it's amazing. So that's what makes me right. think of Glastonbury. Because that's what people okay. say. It's kind of yeah. It's it's. It, but but yes, this altar is used. It's made up of the ashes of dead oxen. <laughs> if you said to me, is it not the, this is the kind of thing I can imagine somebody like Elon Musk doing? Yes, they not think absolutely. they're all going to be naked. They're going to be naked it's, it's, in pounding <laughs> midsummer heat. There's going to be like flies everywhere, dead oxen. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I see, so you see, it's nothing really like the corporate. No. <laughs> the corporate schmooze fest that is the modern. No, let's see the IOC introduce some of these, uh, <laughs> yeah. some of yeah. these proper traditions. So that's so, so you do, and you do that at, at, at the Temple of Zeus, you know, with its great statue by Phidias, who also does the uh, the, the, the Parthenon. Um, and uh, then you have day four, and this is the uh, the running. So you've got the middle distance run, you've got the sprint, you've got the long sprint, and then in the afternoon you've got the the, the real crowd pleasers, which is the wrestling, yeah, and the boxing. And actually, you asked about um, um, about uh, getting burnt in the sun. So the wrestlers, yeah. I mean, if they oil themselves and then they, they, they must, cover they themselves must in dust. They're frying, surely, in the sun, aren't they? I mean, does the dust protect you? I mean, if all the oil. Yeah, I guess. Really? The, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, you can do look very odd. You, you look like um, what's his name in uh, Pocalypse Now, kind of rising up out of the mud. <laughs> or, I mean, oh, of, uh, yeah, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, or I mean, kind of. Terrifying. I mean, but he had, but he had a heart attack while he was filming that. I mean, you wouldn't want that to happen well, at the Olympics. Well, there you go, there you go, and and the, and um, the boxing and the pancration. Yes, which is obviously an event that we don't have. The boxing, the, these are terrifyingly violent. So somebody won the pancration when they were dead. I read that they. What's his name? His name yeah. is uh, Arikion. Arikion won- from from Arcadia. He he was choking his opponent or being choked, and he, he broke was, his he opponent's... Was, he, yeah, he was getting throttled in a scissor grip. <laughs> but while being throttled, he broke his opponent's toe or something. His opponent That's said, right. I yield, I yield, or whatever. And at that point, and, he died. And everyone said, hurrah, Ricky and has won. And the fact that he's yeah. dead is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great, you're really not selling... Great stuff. And in many ways, the Pankratian yeah. is, is even... More terrifying because, and that you can literally do anything except gouge out your opponent's eye uh, or yeah. bite him. So Mike Tyson would be disqualified. But, but anything, you, but you, but you can get you can, 
you can grab his testicles, squeeze That's what back. I was going to say. Absolutely. You could do, <laughs> do all that, but not biting. Yeah. I think they've got their priorities wrong, I think. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a great spectacle? Well, <laughs> I mean, you're not naked yourself. You're not naked yeah. yourself as a spectator, are you? No. You're hungover and sunburned. I'm thinking for TV. Covered in flies, but you're not naked. And no. you're watching men twisting each other's testicles. Well, you're, hopefully you're watching. I mean, the crowds are massive. Uh, the stadiums right. are too small to, to cope. So you're and standing the, behind other people watching men twisting their testicles. You have to get there very early to get a vantage point. And then, of course, you've got the question of, how, you know, what do you do if you need a pee? Or, yeah. I mean, it, you get there really early. Yourself. The sun. You just wet yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> and then the final event is you're running in armour. So you dress up in armour and run. <laughs> well, that's ludicrous because, of course, in the Greek <laughs> weather... 38 degrees centigrade or whatever. But that's where the Spartans come into their own. <laughs> right. That's So they they often win that, do they? Yeah, the Spartans? I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and then uh, the, everyone goes, that's it. And the winners on the fifth day, they all go to the Statue of Zeus and they're given their, um, their olive crowns. So, yeah, Tom, that sounds awful. And you have comprehensively <laughs> shattered any romantic um, faith I had in the ancient Olympics. So one quick question before we get on to some great Olympians. Um, it continues after Greece has been absorbed into the Roman Empire, but non-Greeks are taking part. That's right, isn't it? So Roman emperors and, and, and other Romans. Now, is that general or is it just big big names, kind of VIPs? It's basically Nero. But didn't Tiberius take part? Tiberius, he have yes, a- he takes part in the equestrian event. Um, but by and large, it remains focused on on Greece. So it, it, goes, on, it goes into decline um, yeah. in the early Roman period. Uh, Sulla, who's the uh, this kind of terrifying general who marches on Rome and, and kind of um, at the beginning of the first century BC, um, and he is he plunders Olympia uh, and uses it to kind of fund his fund his army in a civil war. Yeah. But then Augustus is very keen on it. Julia Claudius is very keen on it. Nero is massively keen on it. Hadrian, who is hugely into everything Greek, he's very keen on it. Um, and it, you know, it's very successful through the second century, third century. You, you get these Roman Empire kind of implodes into civil war. Barbarians sweep across, goes into decline, um, and basically by the fourth century, it's it's on its last legs. And it it kind of ex- I think the last the last recorded mention of the games is I think three nine four something like that. Yeah, um, Theodosius the Great, isn't it? Doesn't Theodosius ban it basically? I'm not sure he bans it. I, I think it. I mean, that's that's. I think I think basically there's no market for it because but, everybody but, has become Christian. Everyone's become Christian, they, so nobody's going for. To, yeah. So that that sort of reinforces that point about it being religious rather than sporting, or sporting yeah. being religious. That yeah. that they see it as a pagan festival. You know, the 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 flies and the the nudity aren't enough to to compensate for the pagan religious connotations. Well, Paul, um, you know, when he writes to the Corinthians. Uh, makes reference to the Isthmian Games, so he he says that um, you know as Christians we we are competing for a higher crown, um, right? Yeah. yeah. So 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 um, his dissing of the games is there in the, in the New Testament. Um, I mean, basically, yes. If you're not worshiping Zeus, then um, what's the point? And the great statue of Zeus has been carted off to Constantinople. Um, you know, it's it's been taken there not as not as a kind of religious icon, but as a kind of you know cultural symbol. Um, so right. th- there's just no, there's just no call for them. Um, and so, um, t- tell me about some Olymp. You've got some. Have you got some good Olympians up your sleeve, or some Olympic facts, or something to? Yeah. So the the ones the ones who um, who tend to live on are boxers and wrestlers. I think because they kind of evoke uh, the spirit of of um, Heracles. So there's there's actually there's there's one who is said to be the son of of Heracles, a guy called Theagenes, who comes from the island of Thassos in the north of the Aegean, um, and he's interesting in the context of the um, the episodes that went out last week about statues. Yeah. Because um, as as a young boy, he was very keen on he'd, he'd pick up statues and carry them round, just because he do. was so strong. He was kind of yeah. seven. He just pick up a statue and get told off and have to take it back. Um, and when he when he died, he's a kind of great hero. And they make a statue of him, put it up in the um, in the uh, the marketplace in Thassos. And this is awful for another Thassian who had gone to the Olympics and had failed. And so <laughs> this guy goes and kind of 
pisses and writes graffiti on the statue and generally insults it. And the statue gets really cross about this and kind of warns right. this guy off, says, you know, watch it. And, he, and this guy carries on, carries on. So eventually the statue keels over and crushes him to death. Wow. That's and, an omen for today's um, well, statue yes, of Well, yes, I mean, there's, there's warning there. <laughs> and the sons of the guy who's been crushed to death are so cross about this that they, they abduct the statue and dump it in the sea. And then everything wow. goes wrong for Thassos. Just terrible. Everything goes wrong. So they send an emissary to Delphi. Um, and Delphi says, you know, you have great Theagonies unremembered. You have cancelled Theagonies. Wow, I wish I'd known this before we did our statue walk, Tom. This is great stuff. So they have to uncancel him. Yeah. So a bit like, a bit like uh, getting Colston out of the bay. They have to go to where he's been dumped and, and dredge him up and put him back up on his, uh, up on his pedestal. So to rename all these William Gladstone halls of residence <laughs> yes. that have been... <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, so there's a, there's a kind of... Um, he, he's famous. But I think that the, the great hero, the really famous one, is a guy called Milo who comes from Croton, which is in Sicily. So one of those colonies that you were talking yeah. about. He's a wrestler. He wins five in a row. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of unheard of. Um, and he is, he's so strong that he can tie a cord around his head and then just kind of uh, flex and it just right. bursts the cord. I reckon I can do that. So that's his party trick. <laughs> I reckon I can do that. I, 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 I mean, I'm not going to do it live for the rest of history listeners to to watch, but I'm going to oh, try later tonight. But you yeah. could do it now. I could, I, could, I could describe it if you want I'll to do let, it now. I have, I, have no, I have no cord to hand. Oh, what's um, a shame! What a shame! <laughs> um, but also, he had um, he had a diet for heroes. So, do you know his elite sports diet? Um, I probably pork, judging by the the content of the well, podcast. Twenty pounds of meat a day. 20 pounds. 20 pounds of bread a day. <laughs> two gallons of wine. Wow. Uh, but he, yeah. had a, he had a very um, entertaining sports death. So, so he, he was out and he saw a, a kind of tree that had been split to, to dry it out. And there were kind of pegs holding the, the two halves apart. Uh, and he thought just for fun, he'd take the pegs out and put his hand in. And he put... <laughs> He put his hand in and the two halves of the tree kind of slapped around it and he couldn't pull his hand out. Okay. So he was stuck with this tree and he got eaten by a pack of wolves. Wow. That is, that's no way to go, is it? No. So all his strength availed him naught. He it failed him naught. It failed him. And so, and so it kind of horrible deaths is, is another way in which these Olympic figures are kind of heroic. You know, they are heroes right. in the Greek sense rather than in the kind of, you know, Marcus Rashford sense. Yeah. Um, so um, there is, uh, there's, there's another one, Polydamus, who was um, a great kind of winner in the Pankratian, um, who killed lions with his bare, killed lions with his bare hands, who um, he would capture bulls and pull off their, their hooves. <laughs> That's just bad behavior. <laughs> and, um, and he, um, they, he was with some friends in a cave. There was an earthquake. Uh, he held the cave up while they all got out and then got crushed to death. So that oh, was him. Well that's, that's so that's very, a proper hero, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's actually quite heroic. But the most, the most sinister one, and the one who is literally proclaimed a hero by the Delphic Oracle, um, is uh, a, a guy called Cleomedes. Uh, and again, he's another he's another of these guys who kills his opponent in the in the games, and he gets disqualified by this for the judges because killing your opponent is seen as being too much. Yeah. Um, he he goes mad with this disqualification. He goes back to um, uh, his home island, and do you know what he does there? Um, he I don't. He pulls down a school, and there are sixty boys in it, and they all get killed. Oh my god! And so That's... the parents are understandably cross about this, and they Lip chase him through the streets. But because he's Olympian, he can run very fast. So he go he gets up to uh, a, a temple of Athena, locks himself in the temple. And they're all banging away and he hides in a chest and they burst in <laughs> and they smash open the chest and he's vanished. He's gone. <laughs> oh, wow. He has. Yeah, that's quite a party trick. So oh. they, they, they obviously they send a messenger to Delphi to try and find out what's what's happened. Um, yeah. And the Delphic Oracle says he is the last hero. Offer him sacrifice. He is no longer mortal. And I think that that, that in a way is the kind of paradigmatic account of he's the paradigmatic olympic hero because he literally becomes a god 
and and there's that incredible element of darkness to it that I think is you know is a constant part of these games. They, That's an extraordinary you know, story because it's such a terrible story. It is a I terrible mean, story. So he's in no way punished for his killing of all these kids in this school. That's just seen as an absolutely reasonable way of. It's not seen as reasonable. Your- no, it's not seen as reasonable. It's seen as terrible. But Heracles, for instance, I mean, he, he yeah. kills his own children. He's driven mad by the gods. And that yes. sense that, that men of phenomenal strength are prone to go mad and do terrible things, that's part of what the Olympic Games are all about. And the yeah. people who are, are remembered are often remembered for feats of kind of hideous violence. It's interesting, isn't it? Because our image of the Greeks and the Olympics, certainly our image of the ancient Olympics, and our image of ancient Greece is this sort of pristine marble heroic sporting spirit, heroic using in the sort of modern sense, this sort of almost this lost golden age of, you know, milk and honey or whatever. Um, and clearly the whole, the, the the Greek world is so much darker and more sinister than we commonly think. And when we use it as a stick to beat ourselves and to beat the modern Olympics, commercialized and tawdry and sold out and all the rest of it. I mean, in some ways, the modern Olympics are much more cuddly and, and sort of... Well, they're, they're more antiseptic. Yeah, I think, and that, but they they lack that they lack soul. I guess is what I would say. Yes, I, 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 that's reasonable. I, I think the the ancient games are are dark and terrible, and that's why they last as long as they do. I mean, they you know they last over a thousand years. Um, Far long, yeah, of course, immeasurably longer than the modern Olympics. And they do that because they're holding a mirror up to something very, very profound and fundamental in the way that the Greeks see themselves and their relationship with gods and the cosmos and fate uh, and what it is to be human. Um, yeah. And I think that again and again, whenever you have um, an, an aspect of Greece that seems to us modern, that seems familiar, it isn't. So democracy would be another example. You know, the, yeah. a, the Athenian understanding of democracy is immeasurably alien to us. And the fact that we have the same, you know, the, the, the same word can apply to the system that the Athenians had and the system that we have, disguises the way that it's it's immeasurably different. And the same is absolutely true of the Olympics. So the so the the, the project of revitalizing the Olympics was an absolute pipe dream. They were never going to manage to do that. So that's been a fascinating um, glimpse into actually a much darker world and frankly more off-putting world than I anticipated. So I think now that we've you know got into the sordid underbelly of the ancient Olympics, we should do the same with the modern Olympics in our next podcast. And we should do things like, you know, the Munich Olympics, um, the disaster of Montreal, Moscow and LA and so on. The origins of the Olympics, of course. Hitler's Olympics. Exactly. We're going to do all that. Um, So there'll be tons to discuss then. And it won't be quite so sacral. And fewer flies. (laughs) There'll be fewer fewer flies flies and it won't be sacral. So you'll be safe. (laughs) Yes. Great. So Um, we will see you all next time, I guess. Um, Tom, uh, Eferisto, Yasas. Yep. See see you, Dominic. See you back. Have a safe flight back. um, And I hope you don't uh, get put into a hotel for 10 days at Heathrow. (laughs) Thank you. That's more of a threat than a hope, I think, from you. Um, I hope you're going to be straight onto the um, border force when the recording (laughs) is over. (laughs) Seize that man. (laughs) Okay. Bye bye, Bye. everyone. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.